Well, good evening. This evening, we finish up our series within a series as we look at the reign of Hezekiah, king of Judah. This is the third week we've been talking about the reign of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and we find ourselves in the latter part of 2 Chronicles and in chapter 32, verse 24. And this evening, we'll be looking at Hezekiah, uh, not only the latter part of his reign, but an illness that he had and his death, finally, uh, at the end of this chapter. But as we look at it, there are some things that we need to really consider. And one of them is that God is in control. Amen. God is in control of all things. And yet in his sovereignty, he gives us the ability to choose. And in the case of Hezekiah, he gave him the ability to make some choices And that allowed him to experience some miraculous things. So a miracle is any time God sort of overrules the laws of physics and the laws of the universe. When he does that or creates something out of nothing or does what we would consider to be impossible, but with God all things are possible, we call that a miracle. And we're about to see this evening a miracle that Hezekiah experienced in his life. So let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the miracles that you do each and every day. Lord, we understand that you can do all things. Generally, you work through the laws that you put in place in our universe. But sometimes you supersede those things. You supersede them and you choose to do other than the laws would dictate. Proving that you are capable of anything. That you can create something from nothing. That when you said and decided to speak the universe into existence. When you spoke the word and the universe became what you desired it to be, at no point did you not know that it would end up the way it is. You've been in control of everything from the moment of creation and you will be to the end of time. And Lord God, we thank you because that means that you're in control of our hearts and our lives as well. We praise you and thank you for being a good and gracious God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, in verse 24, and I really just want to read, start by reading just verse 24, and I've shared this with you before. Second Kings is a parallel book. It has a lot more information, so we'll look at some of those passages to help understand, uh, or help us to understand what is taking place or what took place. But it starts with verse 24 in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And we read in verse 24 that in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. Wouldn't you love it every time you prayed for healing, God just healed you? And then not only that, but he gave you a miraculous sign, something miraculous to confirm that he was going to heal you. Now, God sometimes does these things. In the case of Hezekiah, it almost seems extravagant on the part of God that he would do such a thing, as we'll read more details of this event in 2 Kings. But I want you to recognize that you do serve an extravagant God, a God who chooses to do miraculous things in your life, not because you deserve it, not because I deserve it, but because God is good and for his purposes he will sometimes do the most impossible things for his glory. So as we look at this, let's just, 
if you'll turn, you can turn with me or you can just listen, whatever you're more comfortable with. I'm going to turn to the parallel book that records the same events, but in greater detail, because when we read in chapter 20 of 2 Kings, in verses 1 through 7, this is what we read. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. Now that we know already. But notice the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, and I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you from this city, you and this city, from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. So we learn a little bit more from this passage of scripture that's a parallel passage Uh, than we do from our text this evening. We had one verse there, and now we know a little bit more. And so what we find out there is the Lord healed Hezekiah of what was apparently some type of terminal illness. He was suffering from a type of systemic infection. Infections can kill you. It doesn't take much. You can get sepsis, you can get some type of blood poisoning, and before you know it, you die. And it really doesn't take much. I remember as a kid, one time I went to the doctor, I said, you know, Doctor, I have this bruise on my leg. It's kind of an odd bruise. And out of an abundance of caution, they put me in the hospital. I wasn't expecting that. And uh, they put me on an IV uh, because it looked as if that area of my leg was going to, it was sort of spreading into my bloodstream. And they were concerned that whatever the infection was, uh, that it would possibly turn to blood poisoning. And I'm kind of glad they caught that. But at the same time, there are times where we become ill and we recover. Our bodies heal themselves without much help at all. Then there are times where we, we become ill and we have to use our brains. You know, uh, you, you have to use, and I'm not a big fan of pharmaceuticals. I don't take drugs if I, if I can help it. However, there have been times in my life where it was necessary, like when I had pneumonia. I think it was kind of important that I get on an antibiotic. When I was young, that was important. It probably saved my life. But at the same time, you have to be recognizing in your life there are things you can do naturally, things you can do uh, that are, will help you, that are healthy. And as you do them, you're using your brain, right? God will heal through that as well. But then sometimes God not only gives you the wisdom on how to be healed, he actually can touch your body and just miraculously heal you. Now, as we look at what's happening here, Apparently, Hezekiah became ill during the altercation with the Assyrians that we had been studying last week. His illness came upon him. We don't know why. It could have had something to do with the fact that at some point earlier, he had paid tribute to the Assyrians. Maybe God used this to get his attention, allowing him to become ill. I don't know. I can only guess. But the word of the Lord through Isaiah only confirmed that he was going to die. He was about to die. 
And that wasn't God's judgment necessarily. That was, ju- that was just the facts. And so those facts were shared with him. Now, had God determined that he should die? Well, apparently not. And you might be thinking, well, was God wanting him to die? And then Hezekiah prayed and God said, oh, okay, I'll change my mind. God doesn't change his mind. So when these things happen, when, when God responds to our prayers, it's not as if he didn't know he was going to respond to our prayer. He uses these things and sometimes allows these things to come into our lives. And then we pray and we're healed. And it's not like we twisted God's arm and said, oh God, oh please heal me, please heal me. And he says, all right, you're annoying me so much, I'm going to heal you. I think we think of God in very human terms, and that's not correct. God will at times allow sickness and suffering to come into our life. And he allows us to die. By the way, 100% of all people die. So there will come a point where all of us will pass on to the Lord tarry. And sometimes we get sick and we get better, and sometimes we get sick and we don't. In this particular case, understand something. God was allowing him to become ill, allowing him to become desperate, allowing him to cry out to him, and then healing him, knowing all along that that's exactly what he was going to do. God doesn't change his mind. He's not a man that he should change his mind or the son of man that he should lie. He doesn't do those things. He doesn't play games. But in our understanding, it seems to us that one thing was going to happen, we prayed, and then another is going to happen. And so we kind of think of it in a very human way. The truth is, what was going to happen was always going to happen, and God knew it all along. You have to understand, God knows all things, amen? As we've been Studying on Sundays in the book of Daniel, God is sovereign. God is in control. And that we know for sure. So this man, Hezekiah, a good and godly man, one of the godliest kings in the kingdom of Judah's history, he prayed to the Lord to remember his faithfulness and to show him mercy. He was a man who was familiar with the Lord's presence and he had no problem praying. And his first reaction in the midst of his desperate sorrow was to pray to the Lord. See, I think God proves our hearts. When we're in a situation, we have concerns, maybe a little anxiety about something. And your reaction is, oh Lord, I pray this works out. It pleases God to know that when you're feeling that way, you cry out to him. You look to him, not that you take things in your own hands, not that you're foolish, but it pleases God to know that when you're feeling anxiety, when you have a need, when you're sick, when you're not feeling well, that your first heart's response to him is to cry out to him and ask him for help. That pleases God. Amen? If if you go throughout your whole life doing everything you can to take care of yourself, and then when you've exhausted every single avenue, you say, oh, I don't know what else to do. Oh, God, help me. It's not the same thing as having the faith to say, God, before I do anything else, let me come to you. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I want you to see the heart of Hezekiah. He was a man who loved God, and like David, his ancestor, cried out to God when he had a need. And I think that's a beautiful beautiful character trait that all of us should begin to cultivate as we grow in our faith. Even myself, I'm a very independent person. Even myself recently, as I've been going through some certain challenges and things I've had to take care of, have found myself just stopping and saying, you know, I can't worry about this anymore. Lord, please, I pray it works out fine. And I have to tell you, God answers those kinds of prayers, not because it's a big deal. 
And not because it's such an important thing, but because I have with my heart come to God and asked God to help me. And that pleases God. Dependence upon God pleases God. Independence from God, rejection of God, God disapproves of. In fact, the word tells us he exalts the humble, but he resists the proud. And that's really what that means. When you're humble, you come to God, God responds. When you're proud and you want to do it on your own without God's help, he resists that. He says, okay, you want to do it by yourself? Go for it. Let's see how this works out. And then when we humble ourselves, God is so good to hear our prayer and respond. Now, he received a promise through Isaiah of healing. And he received it from the word of the Lord. The Lord was affected. Now, can I say affected? Not manipulated, not changed, but affected. Let me ask you, was Jesus affected at the tomb of Lazarus? He said Jesus wept. He was affected by the circumstances, the weeping, the sorrow. You would be wrong to think that our tears don't affect the Lord. You'd be wrong to think that it has no impact on him. Our emotions, our feelings, they impact him. Why? Because he loves us. And because he loves us, he weeps when we weep. You have to understand, there's a scripture that says he keeps account of all of our tears. He puts them in a bottle. He knows how many times you cry. He knows your anxieties. He knows your fears. He knows your pains. And as you come to him with those things, it only causes him, or actually causes you, to grow closer to him and he to be able to be closer to you because you allow it. So please understand, relationship with God comes about sometimes because of our need. We always have need, but when we recognize that need and come to God, it draws us closer to him. And that's really what we're seeing here. So the Lord was affected by his tears, and he answered his prayer, and he answered it immediately. The Lord would heal him. Now, it would take three days. So it's interesting because that obviously means that the healing was God's hand working naturally and supernaturally. Now, that's hard to understand because when Jesus healed miraculously in the Gospels, he would touch people's bodies and they would be immediately healed. In only one case was someone not like immediately, immediately healed. It was that blind man who, you know, he could see a little bit and then he had to go sort of wash his eyes. He had, he had in a little bit, he could see clearly. It seemed like there was a little bit of a process there. It didn't happen like instantaneously. It certainly could. He had healed other blind people instantaneously. There's a purpose with the the way that God heals, and he doesn't always heal exactly the same way every time. In this particular case, God wanted him to experience the next three days of depending on him as he began to heal his body. In fact, I want you to think about this theme. We've been talking about themes on Sunday morning. Is there a theme about a three-day healing? Is there ever a time in Scripture where after three days something happened? Of course, we see it throughout Scripture. I can give you other examples, but the most obvious certainly is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After three days and nights, he was raised from the dead. So that's a reoccurring theme. But after three days, he would be healed. And the Lord would add 15 years to his life. And at this moment, he's 40 years old. 40. 
And he's going to get an extra 15 years. And if God didn't intervene, if Hezekiah didn't cry out to God, he would have died at 40 years old, which was not uncommon at that time for people to die young. But he had been king for 14 years, so this would effectively double his reign as king. And this also meant, and this is something to think about, that Hezekiah knew the exact year that he would eventually die. See, I don't think I want to know that. There's some people, they go for all these scans and these tests. Anytime they get the hiccups, they go in for an MRI. They want to know, like, exactly what's happening. And I got to be honest with you, I feel good. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to ask any questions. You know what I mean? Oh, pastor, you need to go for this test and that test. If I'm having symptoms, I am the first one to say, test away. But there's some people that go for tests and there's nothing wrong with them. And I have to really, oh, you're just being prudent. Oh, yeah? How about... I trust God, and he knows the exact day and hour that I will pass from this earth. It doesn't mean I'm reckless. doesn't mean I don't take care of myself. But I think you can get a little carried away with trying to predict the exact moment of your death. What if you went to the doctor and you got a test? They took your blood, and they said, we have this new test. It's a DNA test. We know exactly when you're going to die. You're going to die February 3rd, you know, 10 years from now. Would you really want to know that? What would you do on that day? You'd probably die of a heart attack or stress or a stroke or something. I just don't think it's something that you really want to know. This man at least knew the year. He may not have known the day or the hour, but he at least knew that in 15 years he was going to die. And that's not information that I would necessarily want to know. In fact, it may have messed with his head a little bit, as we'll see. uh, So that's something to think about. But he had received the promise also of deliverance for the city of Jerusalem. Now, you remember, we talked about this last week. This apparently happened at that time where they were crying out to God because the Assyrians were threatening to destroy Jerusalem, to invade their nation. They had invaded some of the northern villages, and they were planning on coming down. We saw last week, though, that God intervened, and 185,000 soldiers were slain in one night with one angel getting involved. And so that was last week's study. We're not going to go back there, but it's important to realize this is happening about the same time. So not only is Hezekiah dealing with the stress of the Assyrian invasion, he also has a physical ailment that ultimately could cost him his life if God doesn't intervene. Sounds like a little stress to me. You're dealing with outside things, and now you're dealing with personal things at the same time. That can be a lot. And that doesn't help your immune system either. But having said that, there was something wrong with him. He had some type of an infection. But... The Lord was faithful to deliver the city from the Assyrians. This took place in about 701 B.C. And he was healed. But he was healed through a common but effective age-old medical treatment. So whether or not God, quote-unquote, supernaturally healed him or used a medicinal process to heal him, I don't know. I just know that he was healed. And isn't at the end of the day that the most important thing? I mean, if, if you were to take some medication and it healed you, is God not involved in that? Uh, if you didn't take medication and you were healed, is God not involved in that? Your bodies were designed to heal themselves. And uh, I am a, you know, a fan of chiropractic. I'm also a person that believes in taking care of themselves, eating healthy and exercising. Uh, and I'll tell you what, if you take care of your body and give your body what it needs your body can heal itself. All right? 
I'm not going to get too much into that, but I definitely believe that we over-medicate ourselves in our culture today, and we suffer the result of the side effects of many medications that probably we could, we could be a little bit more conservative with. Of course, you have to discuss that with your doctor, or maybe your holistic doctor, or your chiropractor, or someone else. They'd get another opinion, because too many people are completely over-medicated. And uh, I've seen it, seen it in my dad's life. You know, for years he was over-medicated, and he's you know, no longer with us. So I would say that when you look at this, it's not so important how did God heal, but that God healed. All right? Whether he heals through the design of our bodies, or in this case, some type of medical help or process, or he just touches us and we're healed. I mean, give God all the glory. Amen? So here's what happened. He was suffering a fever. Right away, anyone who knows anything knows that you have a fever, you have an infection. There's some infection in your body, and your body's trying to deal with it. So your temperature becomes elevated. It's designed to kill the germs in your body. Fevers are a good thing to a point. To a point. They can become a bad thing if your body can't get control of the infection. So what did they do? Well, he had some type of skin infection. We only know that because of the parallel passage. He had some type of an infection, a boil. That in the skin indicates there may have been something even more sinister happening in his body because your skin reflects your internal health. It's the largest organ. And if you have like rashes or if you have some type of of skin uh, reaction, a lot of times it's something internal coming through the skin. But sometimes it's something external that gets into your skin. I don't know which. But I do know what they did. Here's what happened. They made a poultice. Now, this is a common, effective way of healing infections that was used for years uh, before medicine took over. That is, modern medicine took over natural medicine. But here's what we do know. We do know that a poultice of figs, now by that, it's probably the fig leaves, and uh, maybe some of the figs, but more than likely the fig leaves. Uh, The poultice of figs seem to have been effective in drawing the infection out through the skin, which is what a poultice does. It draws the infection out through the skin. And a poultice is a paste of herbs, clays, salts, plant leaves, and it has a chemical reaction that is beneficial, if mixed properly, in bringing health to your body. It's wrapped in a piece of cloth and placed directly on the skin for several days. That's why it took three days. See, God didn't supersede the healing process. He just expedited it, if you will. But he didn't say, oh, well, you don't have to do anything. But he said, no, do this and you will get better. See, sometimes God gives us the wisdom to get better, the gift of wisdom and knowledge. And sometimes God just touches us and we get better. And sometimes God just allows our bodies to get better. But God receives all the glory. Amen? It's important. We always give him the glory. So some poultices can even be used externally to help internal problems. So you may have a problem with your kidneys or your gallbladder or some type of problem with your pancreas, some internal problem. There are certain poultices that can be used that will actually help you internally. Now, this isn't a a holistic medicine seminar. I'm just trying to share with you what I know and have been able to observe. I am certainly no expert, but these are the things that we see in our world today. Having faith in your heart doesn't mean you can't use your head. All right? Having faith in your heart doesn't mean you can't use your head. There are some people that, you know, 
they won't, they'll resist any type of help. Say, oh, if I have faith in God, God will heal me. Well, maybe he'll heal through medicine, modern medicine, natural medicine, surgical intervention, a blood transfusion. There's some people that won't do any of those things because they think it's against God's word. Now, just understand what God's word shows here. It's okay to use medicine, in this case, natural medicine, but medicine to help bring healing. I want to remind you that when in James we're told that if someone's sick, uh, they need to call the elders of the church and that they're supposed to uh, apply oil. They're supposed to anoint oil. The word for anoint there, it's not a spiritual anointing. Oil is, has medicinal qualities. And so what they're saying is, call the elders of the church, use medicine and prayer. A lot of people think that there's something, it's not a spiritual anointing we're talking about there. If you look at the language in Greek, it's not. There is a spiritual anointing, like when they anointed Aaron, the priest. That's a spiritual anointing. This is not. In James, it's talking about a physical anointing, putting oil on a wound, perhaps, or oil on the skin. Uh, Do you remember the Good Samaritan? when he helped that Jew who was beaten and left by the side of the road. It says he put oil and wine on his wounds. Wine is an antiseptic, oil is a salve, and it brings healing. And so anyway, I mention these things because natural medicine is effective. Okay? If you have a broken arm, it's not going to work. I mean, you have to set the arm. There's things you have to do. But there are certain times where it makes sense. That's what was happening here. So having faith in your heart doesn't mean not using your head. All right? We need to be balanced. Anyway, Hezekiah had asked Isaiah for a sign. What does that say? That means he didn't believe God? I'm not sure why he needed this sign in addition to the promise of healing, but he did, and he asked for it. And it doesn't seem to be something that annoyed God because God gave it to him. He gave him this sign. But Hezekiah had asked Isaiah for a sign from the Lord to confirm his promise of healing. And He desperately desired reassurance that he would be healed within the next three days. It almost seems like he's not trusting God. But that can't be the case because look what happened. Well, let's read. Back in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, this is our parallel passage. We only have that one verse in 2 Chronicles. But here we read that uh, Hezekiah in verse 8 of 2 Kings 20 had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? In other words, where's the confirmation that this is going to happen? And Isaiah answered, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will, that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall it go back 10 steps? Now, it is a simple matter for the shadow to go forward 10 steps, said Hezekiah. Rather have it go back 10 steps. And then the prophet Isaiah called upon the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back 10 steps. It had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. Now, I know you're confused, and it it makes sense that you would be. What is he talking about? I'm going to have to give you a little explanation so you understand what he's talking about. And then try to explain what God did to bring about that miraculous sign. God gave him a choice. Does God give you choice? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Does he make us love him? Does he make us do things? Did he make Adam obey him in the garden? 
No, man has free will. We, we have the ability to choose. It doesn't limit God or, or, or diminish God's sovereignty to give us free will. We clearly have free will. The angels have free will. And when we have free will and we abuse free will, we sin and violate God's word. But we are given the opportunity to do that because God gives us the ability to choose. So he gave him a choice to determine the nature of this miraculous sign. He knew that the shadow normally moved forward on the stairway of Ahaz. Let me explain. The stairway of Ahaz is the earliest mention of a sundial in historical literature. You all know what a sundial is, I hope. It's, it, it's some type of, uh, uh, can, can look like a clock. It doesn't have to. It's some type of uh, structure that casts a shadow. So generally, we're, we're used to a round dial with, with a, a, a pointy place in the middle that casts a shadow longer or smaller, and you can determine, if it's calibrated properly, what time of day it is based on the shadow. I mean, you can see that if, if you're out at noon, your shadow, obviously, the sun is right above you, your shadow is very small. Toward the beginning of the day, it leans one way, and toward the end of the day, the other, because the sun travels, uh, it rises in the east, sets in the west. So understand that we know what that means. We understand how a sundial works. They didn't use a dial like we understand, but it was still the same thing. The ancient sundial had two sides that stepped up toward each other. Okay, so imagine a structure with little steps going up to the top, something that looks like was made out of Legos, if you will, steps up toward the center and comes back down. Those are the steps or the stairway of Ahaz. So the way the shadow would come down, it would move along these steps, and based on where the shadow was, you could tell what time of day it was. And of course, that that changes throughout the year because the sun changes position. But for now, let's just leave it at that, okay? The ancient sundial had two sides that stepped up toward one another, like, a, like staircases that go up to, to, to each other. Now, if it had 360 steps, and I say that because 360 degrees in a circle is something that came out of the Middle East. It's a Babylonian concept. Um, that's where we get the idea of 360 degrees in a circle. If it did have 360 steps, then 10 steps would equate roughly to 20 minutes. Okay, so when we read in the scripture, it says there, uh, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall it go back 10 steps? And then, of course, Hezekiah said it's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward 10 steps, rather have it go back 10 steps. Now, it's interesting because I want you to think about it if you were using a sundial like this and you had a lamp. You know, if you're holding a lamp and you can move the lamp, right, and it changes the shadow, are you with me? You with me? Well, we can't move the sun, but God can. But see, the thing is, he's saying, do you want the shadow to move forward 10 steps, right? And we already talked about that uh, 10 steps uh, would be, uh, what did I say? Uh, the difference is uh, 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes. 10 steps would equate uh, roughly to 20 minutes. So do you want the shadow to go forward 20 minutes or backward 20 minutes? He's not changing time. It's not like he's going back in time or forward in time in 20 minutes. It's the time is measured from the sun casting a shadow. So no, I don't believe he changed time. What he did was change what measures time. 
Are you with me? I'll, I'll continue. He chose to have the shadow go back 10 steps or 20 minutes on the stairway of Ahaz. Now, he witnessed a miraculous phenomenon. This was a sign from the Lord that he would be healed. There is, and you need to know this, there is evidence to suggest that the earth's orbital speed, orbital speed, that is the speed at which the earth rotates around the sun, not the spinning, the rotation, the orbit. There is evidence to suggest that the earth's orbital speed actually slowed down at this time in history. Now, why do I say that? All the ancient calendars, all of them, had 360-day solar years and 12 30-day lunar months up until this point. They all did. And that's where we get that idea of 360 degrees in a circle. They, they figured out, well, the, the Earth circles the sun, and it takes 360 days, 12 30-day months. It's perfect. Just beautiful, right? No February 28th or 29th, none of that. Just, just, it was all just the way it was supposed to be. So when the Babylonians created the circle and their sciences, they talked about it in terms of 360-day years because up until 701, that's exactly what every ancient culture measured the year to be. Now, if you get this, the earth around the sun in 360 days, it's traveling faster around the sun than it is currently. Are you with me? Because it takes 365 and a quarter now. So let's think about this. During the time of Hezekiah, all of the ancient calendars were suddenly changed. I mean, I'm talking about calendars in the Far East. All throughout the earth, cultures that were not in contact with one another measured and figured out, well, the earth is slowed now. We have to change our calendars to accommodate the fact that the year is now longer than it was before. So what caused that? Well, they were changed to include 365, actually it's 365 and a quarter, right? Solar, or 365 and a quarter day solar years and 12 27.3 day lunar months, which explains why some months have to be 30 days and 31 days, and then we have February, and then every four years we got to figure out that quarter of a day, so now we have a February 29th. The calendar is changing to try to keep up with the speed at which the Earth orbits around the, uh, the sun. We, we adjust our calendar so that we keep up, so that we're in the right place. And, and to get a little bit crazier, it, it, even that doesn't quite work. So they have another little thing I shouldn't probably get into, but in, in certain years that are evenly divisible by 400, they do not have a leap year. So... They, they do this and they keep adjusting it to try to be as accurate as they can. And that was beautiful when God created it. 360-day year, 30-day months, everything worked great. But then God gave Hezekiah a choice, and things changed. Now, of course, this was according to God's will. Interesting. Are you ready for this? The difference in these solar calendars between 360 days and 365 and almost a quarter days is roughly 20 minutes per day when you do the math. 20 minutes. Now, what did I tell you? If the steps of Ahaz are 360 steps and it moved 10 steps, that's 20 minutes. So what in the world did God do? Well, I don't know. But I do know this, that he could have done it by moving the sun 10 degrees opposite the earth. A slight change 
All it takes is a slight change in the orbital structure, the orbital mechanics, and this is the kind of stuff NASA knows all about, right? So if, if they did 10 degrees, interesting, 10 steps, right? 10 degrees opposite the Earth, this is exactly what we would expect to have happened, that the shadow would have moved back 20 minutes or 10 steps on the stairway of Ahaz, or any sundial for that matter. This movement would also cause Hezekiah to observe exactly what God's word describes, the shadow moving backwards. This movement was observed by Hezekiah, and it was out of the ordinary, clearly. It's miraculous because God changed the pattern of the sun and the earth in relationship to one another, but it's not hard to achieve if you can move the sun. Can God move the sun? Yes, amen. Apparently he did. Now, this is the part that blows my mind. That, that to me doesn't, you know, I, I'm impressed by anything God can do, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's impressive. This is impressive, but by comparison, God can do all things, no problem. But here's the problem. Here's the thing that blows my mind. The Lord of the universe, the creator, was willing to adjust the solar system just to comfort his anxious servant. So what is God willing to do for you? Think about that. What is God willing to do to comfort you? If he would do this for Hezekiah. I know that's a lot of information. It's kind of cool stuff. But the important thing is God can do all things. And he chose to do something miraculous for Hezekiah. Because he relied on God. So don't tell me God doesn't answer prayer. All right? So what does Hezekiah do? And you can read about this in Isaiah chapter 38. Uh, So much of Isaiah records the words of Hezekiah and, and the events that took place during his life. But he cried out to the Lord to show him mercy in his suffering. His prayer is actually recorded in Isaiah 38 verses 9 through 14. I'm not going to turn there. You can read it on your own. But in that prayer, he cried out to the Lord to show him mercy in his suffering. And he was dramatically affected by the Lord's intervention. Excuse me. Lord's intervention in his life. He was humbled in the presence of the Lord. He acknowledged that there was a benefit to be found in suffering. Did you know that? He recognized God's grace in the midst of his suffering, which is one of the benefits of suffering. He was thankful for the life that God had given him, and he determined in himself to make the most of the next 15 years of his life by praising the Lord. And he says so in Isaiah chapter 38. Well, what happened next? And, and it, this must have been a process. I imagine that initially, when he was healed, he probably got a little full of himself. It's easy to become proud when God does something like move the solar system to comfort you. And I think that's what happened. And it's important to know, Hezekiah was a very good king, but he wasn't a perfect man either. And we're told a little bit about this. Uh, in fact, if we go back to our text in Second Chronicles, in verses 25 through 26, we read there, But Hezekiah's heart was proud. See, that's the danger of receiving miracles. It's so easy to become filled with pride when God does a miracle in your life. How about when God does a miracle through your life? It's really easy to become proud. 
So be careful, because you know what? When God works miraculously in your life, there's this danger that you and I, that we could actually go backwards spiritually. It, it, it does happen. It does happen. And we have to be on guard. If any man thinks he's strong, let him take heed lest he fall, the scripture says. Well, Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. So they start to experience God's judgment. And then Hezekiah repented of his pride. He repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. See what happened there? This is how you know he's a godly man and not a perfect man. He gets filled with pride like many people would. You probably would too. Be honest. You'd have some kind of a Facebook page set up with how God moved the the sun for me. Dot com or something, you know, you'd have hashtag God move the sun for me. And, you know, the problem is that we have to be humbled in those situations in order to receive God's best. So what happens? Well, he's proud. The people are proud. They start to think, oh, God will move the sun for us. And, and at the end of the day, they had to repent. And that's okay, because when we get it wrong, we have that opportunity to repent. And most kings did not. This king did, which says he's a godly man. It says very clearly, he repented of the pride of his heart. If you have pride in your heart, repent and become humble, and God will restore you. And the people of Jerusalem did as well. Therefore, it says the Lord's wrath did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. So just understand something. When we get it wrong, we can cry out to God and receive his forgiveness. Nothing wrong with that. Isn't God a compassionate and gracious God? Amen? So that's the, amen? That's an important truth we need to hold on to. Well, his heart was proud. He didn't respond to the kindness of the Lord and the, that God had shown him. And as they were about to be judged, and they repented, God spared them. And then we read, and this is God's blessings, because God doesn't hold grudges. Look at what happens in verse 27. In our text, in verse 32, it says there, Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. He made treasuries for uh, for his silver and gold and for all of his precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. He also made buildings to store the harvest of grain, new wine, and oil. And he made stalls for various kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks. And he built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook. So he has this moment of pride. He repents, and God abundantly blesses him. Who here, who knows God, hasn't experienced that very same thing? Where God blesses us, we become proud. We have to experience God's judgment or chastisement, his correction. We humble ourselves, we repent, and God abundantly blesses us. I want you to picture the, what we call the prodigal son, but it's really the prodigal father, because the word prodigal implies someone who lavishes something on someone else. So the idea is, this is God's goodness demonstrated to us in that parable of the prodigal son, or the prodigal father, that moment where God just pours out total grace and unmerited favor on us as pictured with a father and a son. It's a beautiful picture, and you need to know God loves you that much. Amen?
Amen. Okay, let's wrap things up. The Lord had blessed Hezekiah with many material blessings, great success, and he constructed the remarkable Siloam Tunnel from the Spring of Gihon, which you can see today if you visit Jerusalem. Uh, We talked a little bit about that last week. It's a feat of engineering, unparalleled, uh, in, in, in the area of the Temple Mount. It's amazing what they did there. I don't have time to get into it today. Google it. Hezekiah, though, made a mistake toward the end of his life. He unwisely showed all of his treasures to the messengers from the king of Babylon. Here's what happened, and we'll read about it in verse 31. In verse 31 of Second Chronicles 32, I have this air conditioner turning my pages for me here. Okay, in verse 31, but when the envoys, or the ambassadors, were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. So this is a time of testing now that God is going to allow. And listen, everyone, everyone, even in Babylon, they witnessed this miraculous sign. I've already shared with you. It wasn't something that just happened with Hezekiah. It's something that affected every world culture at that time, such that they all had to change their calendars to accommodate for this change in the solar system in the length of the year. But here's what you need to understand. Hezekiah unwisely showed all of that God had blessed him to the messenger's from the king of Babylon. In fact, I'm going to read the parallel passage because, again, there's a lot more there. In 2 Kings uh, 20, verses 12 through 19, we read that at that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil, his armory and everything found among his treasures, There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. That'd be kind of like giving someone your pin number. You know, you wouldn't probably want to do that, right? Then Hezekiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now notice Hezekiah's reaction in verse 19 of of 2 Kings 20. Oh, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought... Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Not really thinking about anyone but himself at this point. Well, he was very unwise. It's not that he was wicked. He was unwise. Now, you can do things that are wicked, and you can just do things that are foolish. And if you do foolish things, there will be consequences. Even if they're not, quote-unquote, sinful things, there are consequences to foolishness, like sharing your PIN number with someone or giving your credit card to someone, or loaning someone who's unreliable money, which the book of Proverbs makes abundantly clear is a bad idea, or co-signing for a loan, or putting up collateral for a loan, and the book of Proverbs makes it clear, not a good idea. Oh, how could God allow this to happen? Well, God didn't allow it to happen. You were foolish. And that's what happened here. 
You see, the king of Babylon sent messengers to celebrate Hezekiah's miraculous recovery. They were also sent to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land. Everyone saw it. And the Lord allowed their visit to test him. This was a test. Does God sometimes test us? Yes. Throughout the scripture, you see God will test us. Does he tempt us? No. He doesn't tempt us to sin. He tests us. He puts us in situations where we can succeed or fail. Or have you been alive in the last couple of years? I mean, we've been tested. We have been tested. And it reveals what's in our hearts. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. See, he enjoyed the attention that the Lord's work in and through his life brought him. And here's the problem when you're a very well-known celebrity or a pastor or somebody everyone knows. Uh, you enjoy, any human does, that attention you get. And, and you've got to be careful. You've got to be very careful. Hezekiah was being tested. And he welcomed these messengers and he revealed to them the wealth of his kingdom. He became boastful of the riches that the Lord had provided for his kingdom. And the Lord's many material blessings actually became a stumbling block for him. I've seen this, brothers and sisters. People love the Lord, and then they become successful. And now they have money. And it steals their hearts. And they become proud. It's sad. It does happen. He had trusted in the Lord through tribulation, but then he succumbed to his own vanity. And that happens so often to all of us. And the prophet Isaiah, he questioned Hezekiah's willingness to trust these potential enemies. It's like when that person calls on the phone and they ask for your date of birth and your social security number, and you give it to them. Or when that, you get an email that says, click here, we're going to, you know, we need to fix your computer, and you click here. Unfortunately, I think there are probably people here who have fallen prey to that because these people are pretty good, these scam artists. But here's the thing. Hezekiah's pride caused him to let his guard down before the enemy. Pray for wisdom. He was blinded to the real intent of these spies from Babylon. He surely should have known that Babylon would try to destroy Jerusalem in the future. Prophets had said so. In fact, Isaiah predicted that they would one day conquer Judah and take them into captivity. But this man did not consider those things. And then when when Isaiah told them what would happen... Hezekiah selfishly was pleased to hear that none of these things would take place during his reign. Talk about it being all about me, you know, uh, about being narcissistic. He's not thinking about anyone but himself. No, a good man, but not a perfect man. He was primarily concerned with his own life and his own reign as king. He was completely unconcerned for his kingdom or those of his descendants, or or, or his own descendants. He was obsessed with the next 15 years of his life and cared little for anything or anyone. And that's what happens when you know exactly how long you're going to live. You get obsessed with yourself. And that's why I don't want to know. There are few people that will find out they have five years to live that won't make it all about themselves. There's some that will make it about others, but most will not. Well, the record of all of Hezekiah's other accomplishments has been preserved, and we've been reading about it in 2 Kings and also in Isaiah. And in verse 32 and verse 33, we read of our text, the other events of Hezekiah's reign and his acts of devotion are written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel, which is 2 Kings. Hezekiah rested with his fathers and was buried on the hill where The tombs of David's descendants are, and all Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died 
and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. And we'll pick that up next week as we look at the reign of Manasseh. What we do know is we have these books, the book of Isaiah. We have the, the book of Second uh, Kings. We, we have what's in First and Second Chronicles. And all of these books say the same thing. Some have more detail than others, but this is how we know what history uh, records for us. One thing, Hezekiah died, having brought great revival to the kingdom of Judah. And he actually had reigned as king in, in total for about 42 years. See, he reigned as co-regent with his father Ahaz for 13 years, as sort of like the crown prince, before his father's death, nine years as his co-regent, four years as, his, as the ruling monarch, and then he reigned as king for 29 years after his father's death, 18 years as the sole monarch, until he made his own son Manasseh his co-regent for the last 11 years of his life. But he left the kingdom significantly stronger than it was when he inherited it from his wicked father Ahaz. But as is the case with anyone who lives on this earth, he rested with his fathers in Sheol, waiting for the coming judgment. Buried in the city of David in the tombs of the kings of Judah, all the people of Judah mourned, and they honored him when he died. And we read and have read that Hezekiah's son Manasseh succeeded him, and we'll pick it up there next week. The important thing to remember, though, this evening is that God can do anything. Amen? He can do all things. He can bring healing, and he can do it however he chooses to. And then he can blow our minds by doing something so unbelievable. I mean, to be honest, I think it seems a little extravagant to change the length of the year. I would have preferred a 360-day year with 30 months, a 30-day months, 12 30-day months. It's nice and even. Everything kind of works like a clock. And, but no, Hezekiah had to go ask for this. But you know what? God gave him a choice. It could have went the other way. The, the year could have became uh, shorter, you know? But it, it, it was his choice. Why does God do things like that? Just to show us that he loves us. Just to show us that he can do on a whim whatever he wants. Now, when I say God does something on a whim, it's not like he, he, he didn't know he was going to do it before he created the universe. This was part of the plan. And he worked it in through his sovereignty into Hezekiah's choice. He gives Hezekiah a choice and he chooses what he already knew he would choose. And God does what he planned to do all along. How did he do that? Well, he's God. He can do these things. Don't try to figure it out. It's way above your pay grade. But just think about the truth I shared with you, that Hezekiah experienced God's goodness, and the Lord of the universe was willing to adjust the solar system, because I'm sure every planet was affected by this, just to comfort a guy who was a little anxious that he might not be healed in three days. What does that say? about God's love for us. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us these things in your word. Give us the wisdom we need to make good decisions and help us not to be foolish when you bless us. Help us not to become proud. And when we do, if we do, may we humble ourselves and repent that we might continue to be blessed by you. And Lord, may we cry out to you knowing that even this miracle pales in comparison to the miraculous truth that you came as a man, as a baby, that you lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and that if we cry out to you and claim you as our Lord and Savior, accepting that sacrifice of your life on the cross for our sins, that we're saved. We know you rose again on the third day, that you ever live to make intercession on our behalf, and that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. And Lord, that is the greatest miracle that anyone could possibly imagine 
Changing the length of years and months, oh, that's nothing with you. You can do that with your pinky. But you gave your life on the cross to save us from our sins. There's no miracle greater than that truth. May we respond to it properly by giving our hearts to you that we might be saved as we call upon the name of the Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.